covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us on the program as we come your way for another program this week. And uh, we've got a lot to get into. Did not think we would maybe have the tone of the overall general feeling about the club when uh, the weekend got started, when they were coming off an eight-game winning streak going into a four-game series at Chicago. But things did not go well in Chicago where the offense uh, did not make its way into Wrigley Field. And the Brewers end up getting swept in a four-game series against the Cubs. We'll get into all that coming up here in just a little bit. Uh, But first off, our normal housekeeping items to take care of here at the top of the program. First off, if you do ever want to get in contact with me, whether you have comments about something that we're talking about on the podcast or if you uh, uh, just whatever, you just want to tweet at me for whatever reason. You could do so. Uh, at Matt Pauley on air is the Twitter handle, at Matt Pauley, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. You can also uh, drop me an email, matt.pauley at wtmj.com. Always appreciate folks uh, tweeting at me. I do my best, by the way, just kind of a side thing. I do my best to tweet back at people, and I think I do an okay job at it. When people tweet at me around the time of me hosting the post-game show on WTMJ, I assume people are asking questions for the air. So if you ever tweet at me and I don't respond to you and it's near when I'm doing the post-game show on WTMJ, uh, you should be listening to the post-game show because I'll probably address what you had to say there. So it's not me ignoring you. It's me maybe misconstruing what, uh, what, what your tweet is looking for in terms of response from me. So uh, that's uh, that's the first thing to get out of the way. Also, if you do listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast or iTunes, I uh, would love for you to leave a, a raking, a review, whatever it is. Uh, that helps us out. A lot of people have been doing that recently, so thank you so much for uh, being able to do that. If you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, there's many other options. You can listen at WTMJ.com on the WTMJ mobile app, uh, on Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. So uh, there's other opportunities. But if you are one of the folks that listen uh, on uh, Apple Podcasts, and we can see on our like analytics that we get for the podcast where people are listening from, and more than half of you do listen via the Apple Podcast. So if you're in that group and want to leave a review or a ranking, that would be uh, that'd be absolutely fantastic. Here's what's coming up on the program this week: our social media conversation is going to feature Kyle Lesneski. He is the managing editor uh, over at Brew Crew Ball. You can also read him at BP Milwaukee. So he's going to be joining us here in just a little while. We are also going to uh, welcome in the broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats, the high A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. Again, update on what's going on there with the Mudcats, including an update on Keston Hira, the top prospect in the organization who's playing for that team. All right, so... Oh, man, I'll tell you what, the hosting the Brewers postgame show over the last couple days was a bit of a challenge. And for those of you who don't know, we record this on Sunday evenings. So the content that we have uh, is true at the moment of recording. What uh, It's 8.32 p.m. right now on Sunday night. And we try to keep the the information as – I don't like using the word generic, but I haven't found a better word for it uh, so that people can listen throughout the course of the week and it not be outdated. Uh, but as it sits right now, what's fresh on 
the mind of Brewers fans is a four-game series sweep at Wrigley. And you would think and you would be hopeful that that would turn around very quickly with a three-game series coming up on the road in Cincinnati Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday before they welcome in the Pittsburgh Pirates for a weekend set at Miller Park. But as it sits right now, look, it was a tough weekend. First time in franchise history that the team has lost four straight games where they allowed three runs or less. Pitching was fine. Pitching was good. Pitching is not an issue with this team right now. In fact, I've heard from people who have been complaining about the pitching, and I guess at a very dictionary definition level, you know, you, you can't lose a game that you don't score, that you don't give up any runs. Okay, sure, but the pitching's been been solid. What I think, two point two five ERA over the course of the four games against the Cubs. I'll take it. I'll take it. If you if you gave me the option right now that for the final 130-so games of the season, the Brewers would allow three runs every single game, which is the most amount of runs that they allowed in the Chicago series. If you said the Brewers were going to give up three runs every single game for the rest of the season, I'll take it. You're going to win, I think, more of those games than you're going to lose. You're going to, you're going to win probably a pretty high percentage of that. You win a lot of games when you score three runs. So very frustrating weekend, incredibly frustrating weekend, the way things went. And the fact that it happened against Chicago, the fact that the Brewers are now 1-7 and seven against the Cubs, the fact that it happened in a year where the Cubs have done really nothing special against the rest of the teams that they've played, not, not, not named the Brewers, like, there's a lot of reasons to be frustrated. I think where we need to tap the brakes a little bit is letting the frustration turn into a feeling of, well, this has to change, and this has to change, and this has to change. Like, I love the passion of Brewers fans, whether it's the folks on Twitter, whether it's the folks who call and text into the postgame show on WTMJ. I appreciate very much the passion of Brewers fans. It's fantastic. But I think sometimes we we jump from point A to you know point F without going through B, C, D, and E. And that's whether it's people calling for the job of Darnell Coles, calling for the job of Craig Council. They don't they strike out too much. They strike out way too much. They don't they don't hit and run. They're not bunting enough. Uh, the team can't move runners over with Craig Council as the manager. Like all these, st- I've heard it all. I've heard all of it. And does that not mean that there is some portion of truth in all those statements? Can the team be better situationally? Of course it can. Of course it can. Uh, And it wasn't a strength last year either. Has the team improved this year situationally? Yes, they have. Is the team putting the ball in play a little bit more often? Yes, it has. And I'm of the belief there are some guys who absolutely should be choking up with two strikes, but there's some guys who shouldn't. There's some guys who, the the strikeouts, I don't want to say the strikeouts are okay, but you accept the strikeouts because of what they have the ability to do when they're swinging away. We're at a place in baseball now where 
when there's two strikes and you're protecting the plate, it doesn't always automatically mean you choke up on the bat the way Joey Votto does. We can all appreciate what Joey Votto does, but it doesn't mean that you want to turn your entire team into a bunch of slap hitters when there's two strikes on the board. It's it. You just don't want these guys to be taking on a, a different approach all the time or very often from what got them there. It's not easy to be a Major League Baseball player. They got there for a reason, and I'm generally more comfortable with them sticking with the approach. Could they strike out less? Yeah. Are there, are there some tweaks that can be made? Are there guys on the team that definitely need to strike out less? Yes, that's all true. But to the extent that I hear sometimes uh, that these major changes have to be made, and I hear that a lot after a series like the Brewers just had against the Cubs, I, I think it's just, like I said earlier, maybe something to tap the brakes on just a little bit. If Look, if the offense continues to be on vacation, if the Brewers go through this series against a not-very-good Cincinnati team, and then they go into that series against Pittsburgh, and then all of a sudden it's Cleveland. I mean, if we're if we're still having this conversation about the offense really struggling uh, when we're recording the interview or recording this uh, podcast on say like May thirteenth, then all of a sudden there's there's a little bit more credibility to what they did against the Cubs being kind of part of their DNA. But as it sits right now, I'm not willing to go there. And I think you do need to look at where they were at even prior to the Cubs series. Because this was a team that was, I don't know if I want to say rolling offensively, but they were putting together pretty good numbers. They were on an eight-game winning streak going into that Cubs series. The first two games of uh, the eight-game winning streak, uh, those were those 2 nothing wins against Cincinnati that looked eerily similar where Eric Thames hit the, uh, hit the home runs. But after those two games, when that Miami series started, the offense put up great numbers for the final six games of that eight-game series, scoring 12, 8, 6, 4, 5, and 6 runs, respectively, going into the Cubs series. Nobody's going to take issue with that. 12, 8, 6, 4, 5, 2, or excuse me, uh, 12, 8, 6, 4, 5, 6, nobody's going to have an issue with putting up those kind of numbers. So as tough as it is, especially coming off a four-game series sweep uh, to the Cubs, I think sitting back and seeing what happens moving forward is probably the most important thing for to, to have happen as the team is still essentially one month into the year. Again, coming up on the program this week, Kyle Esneski. He is going to join us at the social media conversation. You can read him at Brew Crew Ball, also at BP Milwaukee. We'll talk with Carolina Mudcats broadcaster Greg Young coming up as well. But first, let's get into our headlines of the week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's headlines of the week. Probably the biggest headline, two of the biggest headlines. We'll start with the negative one and then go potentially positive. Uh, Eric Thames gets hurt, and uh, he had a uh, torn UCL in his left thumb, and he is going to be out somewhere between six and eight weeks. He did undergo surgery uh, this past Friday. He injured himself uh, on a diving play, so uh, he is out for a while. 
And what that results in is Jesus Aguilar and Ryan Braun are now going to split time at first base. And we'll see what this lineup and what this offense looks like without Eric Thames. I think Eric Thames does a lot for this lineup. If nothing else, providing some protection. Even when he's not swinging it all that well, he's still getting on base. And I think he's still providing some protection. He's a dangerous hitter in the lineup. And Jesus Aguilar has been really, really productive in not really being an everyday guy. When he plays more, does he get exposed? What does the bench do? Aguilar has been such a force off the bench. I'm a big believer in when a guy is doing something and he's being really successful in that role, keep him in that role unless there's a very compelling reason not to. And for Aguilar, the role he has had last year and the first month of this season prior to the Thames injury, it's been darn he's been darn good. And we'll see what his numbers look like after spending a lot more time at first base. Wade Miley is going to join the team, and he is going to join the starting rotation. He is scheduled to start on Wednesday of this week. Miley was signed to a minor league contract in the offseason had a very good spring, was en route to making the team and being part of the five-man rotation, got injured. At that point, because of an out in his contract, they had to kind of work around the deal, and they pushed back the out date. So they continued to have him rehab. His most recent time that he pitched in the minors, he was very good, and now he's going to move into the starting rotation. Brent Suter is going to move to the bullpen. And the Brewers are going to have some decisions to make coming up here on pitchers. Uh, you still have Oliver Drake, who kind of serves as a left-hander in the bullpen because of his splits. Uh, his overall numbers are not great. When you kind of break it down, he's pitched better than the numbers would indicate because he had one really bad appearance that is blowing everything up. But if you let him go, you have to really let him go. You can't. Uh, you have to pass him through waivers, designate him where other teams could uh, make a claim for him. Uh, you still have Brandon Woodruff. You still have uh, Taylor Williams who could be sent down. Uh, Woodruff is probably somebody who profiles out as a starter, so it might make sense uh, with the bullpen getting in line to maybe send him down. But Boone Logan's not that far away from returning either. And there's just a lot of decisions to be made. And you look at Woodruff. Uh, you you look at Williams, but you look at Oliver Drake as well, and you say, when everybody's healthy, do those guys have jobs at the big league level? Jimmy Nelson is continuing to uh, go through his rehab, coming back from the shoulder surgery. He has continued to throw on flat ground at 150 feet. They've kind of been stuck on that for a while. Uh, they're not going to push him through. He's also done some... Uh, mimicking throwing off the mound, not actually throwing off the mound, but just kind of not even a towel drill, but just kind of going through uh, the the feeling of it. Did that at uh, Wrigley Field uh, this past week, and some of the media saw it, and evidently he's been doing that for a while, but uh, people really, uh, really did not know about that. So uh, that is uh, that, that that's a good sign for him coming back. The timeline, I mean, look, I still think all-star break at the earliest. And I, I've said this over and over, and I'll continue to say it. Coming off an injury like that and, and the strength that you need to rebuild and the feel that you need to rebuild and everything, I'm I'm not convinced that this year 
he will come back and be the Jimmy Nelson that he was at his best last year. I'm not saying he's not going to get back to that at some point. I would just say uh, I would quell expectations for him this year to get back to that point. And look, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he comes back to exactly where he was before, but that's a really tough injury to come back from. You know, And, and look, it's a very different, very, very different uh, procedure than Tommy John not even in the same area, so uh, I'm not making this comparison to because the injuries are similar, the procedures are similar, but they are both major injuries that pitchers come back from, and it's very common for a pitcher to return from Tommy John and there still be some time in there until they return to the form that they were at uh, previously. Uh, One other note, and look, I'm just... I don't do this too often. I know people listen for uh, for certain segments, or you might be done a little bit early. Uh, this past week, the, the sad news of the week, and, and look, it, it it got me pretty hard because uh, I had worked with him so much on uh, on WTMJ. Uh, Davey Nelson, part of the Brewers broadcast team on Fox Sports Wisconsin, uh, did some co-hosting of the Brewers Extra Innings show on WTMJ. Had previously been a coach, uh, ran the alumni program for the team. Uh, he passed away. And I've got some thoughts on it that I just want to share. I'm going to do that at the end of the program this week. So, that, you know, that's part of the news and really sad news of the week. Uh, I, I'm No real way to come back out of that. So I'm going to do that at the end of the show. I'd love for you to uh, to stay in till the end uh, because I, just, I do want to just share my thoughts about uh, Davey Nelson. So that will be coming up uh, later on in the program. But uh, for now, that is this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation as we welcome in a guy who is the uh, managing editor over at Brew Crew Ball. You can also read him at uh, BP Milwaukee. It is uh, Kyle Lesneski. Kyle, always great to talk to you. How are you doing? Um, you know, I certainly can't complain. Nice, uh, nice weather outside. We took the park a little bit earlier and just got back a little bit ago from taking the dog for a walk. So, suppose I uh, can't complain too much. Interesting last week for the Brewers as the first part of the week culminates an eight-game winning streak where everything seemed to be going as well as it could possibly go, and then they go to Wrigley Field and it is just a thud where they get swept in the four-game series. They get swept in three of those four games. Uh, First time in franchise history that they've lost four straight games when giving up three runs or less in each of them. Uh, What's your takeaway from uh, a week that started out as well as it possibly could to uh, finishing off with four straight losses in Chicago? Yeah, boy, you know, it was was certainly – it was nice to see the Brewers – it felt like get the offense back on track and you know i guess looking back on it we could maybe credit that to playing some offenses like uh or playing against some teams like miami and the reds and and all that sort of stuff but uh boy it certainly was deflating to see them going to chicago and just kind of get you know get their rear ends handed to them over the series of the four games and um it just seemed like the offense was, was basically hapless i think they only got uh two hits in in today's game and um you know, didn't scratch across any runs in any of the last couple of games. So it's just, 
you know, it, it, like I said, it was just kind of deflating to see as as a fan. You know, you, you're riding high, eight game winning streak seems like everybody's kind of leave, finally kind of getting into a groove at the plate, and then it just all sort of evaporates in these in these four games. So, you know, certainly some some concerns about the way that the offense has been trending so far in April. Uh, but you know, at least we've got uh, got one of the best pitching staffs in baseball. So and still hang our hat on that, I suppose. Yeah, there's a lot of things to get into. First off, I'm somebody that I don't like to see big, rash decisions made on a, on a very small thing. So uh, as I did the post-game shows on WTMJ over the last few days, I heard a lot of, you know, fire Darnell Coles. These guys have got to start, you know, the, the situational hitting is horrible, yada, yada, yada. And my question to some of them was, what have you been saying this five days ago when they were coming off an eight-game winning streak and scoring four, five, maybe 12 runs in a single game? Uh, and different people had different responses. So I guess my question to you is, what do you? What kind of wide-ranging statements do you make after that four-game series in Chicago? Or can you at least say for the time being it's maybe more of an anomaly than anything else and wait to see how the rest of the, you know, the next couple weeks maybe play out to see how much of what happened in Chicago is truly who this team is and how much of it is just a, a bad four days at the plate? Yeah, I, I think it's still pretty early to make any, you know, wide-ranging assumptions about who the team is and, and what direction they should go as far as any of that kind of stuff goes. Um, you know, we, we saw them tear the cover off the ball in, in their previous eight games and, and push a bunch of runs across the plate. And, you know, we can't let the fact that they scuffled across these last four games against the Cubs totally erase, you know, everything else that they've done so far this year. And, um, you know, one of the things that they the they put focus on over the off season was um, kind of getting away from the high strikeout totals. You know, the Brewers obviously uh, led the league in that category the last couple of years. Set set a franchise uh, set a major league record in in 2016, and then broke that record again in 2017 for most strikeouts in a season. Um, but they've actually made some strides uh, so far this year. They're they're putting the ball in play a lot more. I think they've kind of I think they've cut their strikeout rate by about two or three percent so far in this season, and and their walk rate has remained about the same. So they're making more contact, and um, it it seems like they've been hitting into a lot of hard outs, and uh, you know a lot of that stuff is a little bit more glaring when you're when you're just not pushing any kind of runs across the board, and then especially with some of the defensive miscues that have that have kind of stood out these last few days as well, um, that just kind of kind of gives everything sort of that snowballing effect. But at this point, I don't I don't think that somebody like Darnell Cole should feel like he's on the hot seat or anything like that. Um, you know, in, in all honesty, I I like the way that he's worked with the Brewers hitters since since he's been hired, and you know, it, I don't know that that Travis Shaw necessarily has his breakout season last year without you know going under the tutelage of Darnell Coles or or Eric Thames is able to come back over, and you know that's a, that's another thing too is you know we've been missing Eric Thames out of the lineup the last several days, and and he was somebody who was obviously a major part of their offensive offensive success over the first several weeks with seven home runs, so that's a big bat that you're missing out of the lineup too, and for as, as much as people like Jesus Aguilar and for as hot of a start that he's gotten off to so far this year, he, he really isn't and has never been the same level of hitter that Eric Thames has shown to be at the major league level. So, you know, you're, you're still losing something there. 
and you can't really say that the offense is at full strength right now. Um, but going forward, you know, you want to see a little bit better performance, and especially against a division rival with, with Chicago just, you know, makes it hurt that much more. But um, at this point, I, I would be reluctant to make any any rash decisions or, or sweeping generalizations about the way that the team has gone. The the injury of Eric Thames at first, and Thames is really a polarizing individual when it comes to Brewers fans. There's a there's a vocal group of people that really do not like him, and I don't always understand that. I think it's partially because of the strikeouts. Maybe for some people, it's because of uh, you know just kind of the, he's a he's a gregarious personality, and maybe some people don't like that so much. But this this team is it's it's. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with the Jesus Aguilar, Ryan Braun platoon over at first base, but losing Thames for six to eight weeks, that's that could impact this team. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Craig Council has already mentioned that, you know, that's a left-handed bat that's out of the lineup, and, and both Aguilar and Thames are right-handed hitters, so you kind of lose that platoon advantage um, for a lot of the time. Obviously, most pitchers in baseball are right-handed, so... Um, and as much as people complain about the the strikeouts from Thames and stuff like that, it just that that kind of stuff grates on me a little bit because when you actually look at the the percentage, uh, Jesus Aguilar struck out in a higher percentage of his at bats last year, and his batting average on balls in play was something like fifty points higher. So that kind of masked that um, that strikeout total and made his batting average look probably a little bit better than it than it reasonably should have been. And, and um, you know, it, it's just kind of the way that you see a lot of power hitters these days. If you're going to be swinging hard all the time, you're going to swing and miss, miss a fair amount. And, um, you know, as, as I mentioned, the Brewers have kind of made some steps getting Lorenzo Kane and getting Christian Yelich guys who are going to balance out that lineup a little bit more. But, I mean, whether you're looking at Eric Thames at first base or whether you're looking at Jesus Aguilar at first base, Either of those guys are going to be guys that are going to strike out a lot, and you know you you kind of have to deal with that, knowing the power that they can provide with with their bats as well. So, you know that's just one of the things as as the game has kind of started to change and continue to change over the last you know ten years or so, trended more and more high strikeout hitters, and it seems like that on a lot of people just because it's not an aesthetically pleasing thing to see. You don't like to see guys strike out and. It's just, you know, the, the nature of the game these days, really. I'm not trying to go down, like, a sociological thing here, but I really believe, I don't know if I've ever said this on this podcast or not, I think I started noticing uh, a certain percentage of the Brewers fan base starting to turn on Thames last year when he hit that walk-off and he was destroyed at home plate and his jersey was taken <laughs> off and his nipple was hanging out like there there was a there was a percentage of the Brewers fan base that hated that moment and the way the celebration went down and I'm telling you there's people who do not like him because of that celebration yeah and I mean you know that's something that we that we still see a lot in the game today obviously you know you look back at a guy like Carlos Gomez is, you know, still having lots of fun playing baseball. He had lots of fun playing baseball when he was in Milwaukee and um, just hit a walk-off home run for the for the Rays um, earlier this week. I think where <laughs> it probably took him about a minute to circle the bases. He was he was pretty hyped up about it. But you know, there's still a lot of people that that seem to get kind of their feathers ruffled about 
celebrations and all that sort of stuff. I think um, Salvador Perez just uh, had some comments to the media about how he didn't like the way that Tim Anderson or the White Sox reacted after he hit a home run. And, you know, it just, it seems almost like a, a generational thing, I guess. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to paint it as, as old versus young and, and that kind of stuff, but it's, it, it's more of like a mindset of like old school baseball fans versus the sort of new school baseball fans and the way that that stuff you know, the way that people feel about that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm not ever going to get mad at a guy for, for celebrating. I certainly wouldn't get mad at a pitcher for celebrating on the mound after he strikes, after he strikes a guy out in an important moment. So I'm not going to disparage a hitter for, you know, maybe flipping his bat or, or something like that after he hits a big home run. And I, I mean, I don't have a problem with the way that, that Eric Thames celebrated that home run and the way the team celebrated that home run last year. And, I guess it doesn't make a ton of sense to me why anybody else would really have a problem with it. Travis Shaw made a comment after the Sunday game that they're a home run hitting team and they have to find ways to score when the home runs aren't there. Do you, and I had some interesting comments about the, some conversations about this on social media, do you buy the premise of that, that they're that they're a home run hitting team and they need to find ways to to score runs when it's not home runs. Is that the reason they weren't scoring runs against Chicago, or is it maybe something else? I mean, this team definitely is a home run hitting team, and I don't think that they totally changed that identity. Um, but th- they took steps to try and make themselves less reliant on the home runs, and and we've seen how much of a spark plug Ruben Payne has been at the top of the lineup. Um, at last, I checked, he actually had more walks and strikeouts so far this year was pushing in over 400 on base percentage and um, Christian Yelich was was right behind him in the lineup with a pretty high batting average and um, a pretty low strikeout percentage as well and those are your guys at the top of the lineup that you're relying to put the ball in play and and get on base and try and make things happen that way and um, you know throughout the lineup there there are guys who you're counting on to be more of contact hitters guys like Orlando Garcia and um, Hernan Perez, when he's in the lineup, those are those are the sort of players that you're looking for to to make contact and put the ball in play. And specifically to those two guys, they've they've both struggled mightily at the plate so far this season. They haven't been making very hard contact with the ball and and driving the ball in the gaps like we've seen them able to do in the past. And um, I think that part of the issue that they're having scoring runs is that they've had so much struggles with the guys at the bottom of the lineup. Um, Arcia, as I mentioned, Perez, as I mentioned, Manny Pena is off to um, a pretty slow start so far this year. Same thing with Jet Bandy. And um, when you're not getting any production from the bottom of the lineup, it, it puts that much more pressure on, on the home run hitters like Braun and, and Shaw and, and those guys. When they're up at the plate, they're you know kicking into their head that, hey, we haven't been scoring. I could put one on the board right here. So you know, kind of just gets everybody to press a little bit more. And, and when nobody in the lineup seems to be doing anything else, it just, you know, almost stacks up on top of each other. Really. Every inning that you go that you don't score, it just seems like that pressure gets mounted more and more. So, you know, I think the best thing for this team would be to come out and, you know, put up a four or five spot in the first inning of tomorrow's game. And I think that would kind of take a lot of pressure off the offense and, and hopefully get things rolling again. So. Wade Miley's going to join the rotation. He had a nice spring. Uh, he got injured. 
They thought enough of him that they let him go through the rehab process with the club. Now he's got a guarantee of better than $2 million for the, since he's been activated or will be activated to the roster. Uh, but still, I mean, it's Wade Miley. It's a guy who struggled the last couple of years in Baltimore. He's had some good moments uh, earlier in his career, especially uh, his first year. Not that pitching is really an issue. Even what Brent Suter did last time out, you'll you'll take that from a guy that you view as a number five starter. Can Wade Miley make much of a difference on this team? Um, you know, I, I don't know that they're really coming into this with any sort of great expectations from Wade Miley. And, you know, as much as I like Ben Suter and, you know, as much as he had a, a, a decent start his last time out against Chicago, overall I want to say his ERA was um, right around five and a half and his deserved run average, uh, the, one of the um, ERA estimators from baseball perspective, uh, was right in line with that um, earned run average, even a little bit, even a little bit worse. Um, so, you know, you You'd like to see maybe a little bit more production out of that spot. Um, Brent Suter is a is a fine enough number five starter, but the Brewers, you know, knowing that they have the flexibility of Suter being able to um, being able to contribute in the starting capacity or in the bullpen, know that they have the flexibility to put him in the bullpen, and they obviously liked what they saw out of Wade Miley in spring training. Um, he worked on a lot of mechanical changes throughout the winter to try and find the strike zone with a little bit more consistency after leading the league in walks last season. Um, and from all indications from their, from their scouts and from their analytics departments, it sounds like they think that, um, you know, there's a chance that, that Miley's made some improvements. And um, it makes a lot of sense that they're going to give him a look here. You know, they, they kept him around for all that time trying to rehab him and stuff. And um, I don't think they would have they would have gone to the trouble of, paying him a hundred thousand dollar retention bonus and renegotiating his minor league deal and all that sort of stuff if they weren't if they weren't really serious about giving him a look at the major league level. So um, if he can come out and, and produce a little bit better than Brent Suter, I think they would certainly be happy with that. But ultimately for this number five spot at, at least, you know, for the first half of the season here, it's it's probably just gonna be a matter of keeping that spot warm until they determine that Jimmy Nelson is ready to get back into action and, you know, they'll slot him into that rotation spot eventually, I would think. I had no real issues with the way Oliver Drake was pitching prior to his most recent outing where he gave up two two runs. Six of the seven runs he'd given up was in one outing. He had a sub-one ERA outside of one single uh, appearance. That being said barring some sort of injury or something else crazy happening uh, on Monday or Tuesday, is there any way that Oliver Drake survives the movement of uh, Brent Suter to the bullpen and needing a spot on the 25-man roster? Yeah, boy, I don't know. It, it seems like Drake is, is a guy who you know feels like he has nine lives down in that bullpen and, and how many – times have we said over the course of the last two seasons, like, oh, you know, get this guy out of here. And, and yet he continues to hold on to his spot, and there's obviously something there that, that the organization values pretty highly for him to have stuck around for this long, through kind of a lot of ups and downs through his tenure with Milwaukee. And, um, you know, it, it would make a lot of sense for him to be the guy. He's more of a, I guess the way the splits come out, he's more of a left-handed specialist sort of guy, even even though he throws with his right hand, that split finger is is really effective against left-handed hitters, and he and he has a reverse platoon split where righties um, are generally able to hit him pretty well. 
Um, but, you know, we've got Hader down there as a left-hander right now. Um, Dan Jennings is down there as a left-hander right now. Suter's going to be um, heading down there. And before too long, we're going to have Boone Logan coming back as well. So, you know, whether it's now or when Logan comes back, it, it feels like this should probably be getting close to the end of the line for Oliver Drake. Um, but, you know, then again, I guess I guess you can't really ever know for sure the way that David Stearns kind of operates and the way that this franchise has operated over the last few years where they prioritize almost hoarding as much depth as possible. Yeah. And for as easy from the outside as it is for us to say, oh, well, you know, they might as well just DSA Oliver Drake, they could just as easily option Brandon Woodruff to AAA because they've already used his minor league option this year. And, you know, then in a few weeks or whenever um, Boone Logan is ready, and you turn around and option Taylor Williams to AAA because his minor league option has already been used this year. And, you know, as much as as fans, we might not want to see that happen because, you know, we like Taylor Williams and he's so much younger and we like Brandon Woodruff and, you know, he's a top prospect and all this kind of stuff. It just doesn't seem like that's the way that the front office looks at things and, and the way that they view their roster transactions. So, and I mean, there's there's nothing to say that you know, an injury will pop up here soon. And, um, you know, we've seen some manipulation, I guess, of, of the way that they've used the disabled list in the past, too. So um, I guess nothing exactly is out of the question. But, you know, it, like I said, it, it feels like making a move with Oliver Drake would be, you know, the logical thing. But I just can't say for sure that that's what's going to actually happen. You've gained notoriety on social media for uh, always staying high on, on Junior Guerra. And Guerra has a .82 ERA through four games. He's only given up two earned runs in 22 innings, 21 strikeouts to eight walks. Uh, batters hitting 176 against him. Seems like the split finger pitch is even more effective than it was previously. He's added to his velocity. Uh, I mean, what? here's a guy who doesn't even start the season in the big league rotation and all these things have to happen for him to eventually get there and now all of a sudden you look at these numbers and you don't want to make too much out of four starts but my goodness he looks as good if not better uh compared to what he was doing two seasons ago yeah absolutely and you know the the biggest thing for Guerra has um i think always kind of been his mechanics and uh last year he didn't pitch in winter ball, and, you know, the organizations obviously kind of talked about that. Um, now, this year, I probably think that that might have been a mistake, and, um, you know, he got injured in his first start last season and just never seemed to get on track, and uh, his uh, release point, his vertical release points last year was about an inch or two higher than it, than it had been in 2016, and, you know, saying it doesn't sound like that's a huge difference, but when you think about, you know, where your hand is and then raise that, you know, an inch and a half or two inches, that'll make a big difference when you're actually throwing a baseball. And, you know, that could have very likely been part of the reason that Garrett walked five and a half batters per nine last year. And, um, you know, maybe not getting that extra work in winter ball contributed a lot to the fact that his, his arm wasn't maybe as loose as it normally would be, and that's why he struggled a lot with his velocity throughout last season. But uh, so far through his first four starts, the the data seems to show that 
his onslaught is back in the spot where it was in 2016, right around there. And you know, we've obviously seen that he's he's gained back pretty much all that velocity that he lost. I think his uh, average fastball so far is uh, like 93 and a half miles an hour this year, which is a you know over a mile an hour higher than it was last season. Um, getting a bunch of strikeouts, uh, striking out almost nine nine uh, batters per nine innings, and um, he's He's looked really good. I mean, he's hitting the strike zone, you know, with half of his pitches after hitting the zone only about 39% of the time last season. And um, it's just, it's really been, it's really been great to watch him come back. And, and, you know, now that he's got his mechanics back in order and it it seems like he's pitching with a lot of confidence going out there and and working his way through lineups and has really been a positive contributor to the rotation. And, um, you know, I, I think that it'll be um, important to have a guy like Guerra uh, continue to pitch well throughout the year as, as we've seen this um, starting rotation kind of settle in here uh, with a nice one, two, three, four with Anderson, Davies, uh, Shasin, and Guerra all seem to be pitching, pitching relatively well for the time being. So as long as they can get, you know, consistent good starts out of that, out of those four pitchers, they should, you know, continue to be able to compete even as the offense becomes a goal throughout the season. Mention you're the managing editor over at uh, Brew Crew Ball. You guys are just churning out content, uh, not just day after day, but seemingly hour after hour. Uh, what can <laughs> folks uh, expect to see when they uh, check out the website? Um, you know, we, we provide a lot of uh, minor league coverage. We, we have uh, a great um, a great guy covering the minor leagues in Brad Ford who turns out uh, daily prospect reports and kind of keeps you up to tune on what's going down on the farm. And um, we're going to have a series preview to get you ready for the uh, next few games here against Cincinnati coming out tomorrow. And um, but also planning on uh, taking a little bit deeper dive into, uh, you know, the success that Junior Guerra has been able to have this season. I would look for that on the site over the next couple of days as well. Well, great stuff. We encourage people to check out the website, uh, brewcrewball.com. Uh, follow Brew Crew Ball, of course, uh, on Twitter as well, at Brew Crew Ball. Uh, Kyle Lesneski, the managing editor. You can also read him over at uh, BP Milwaukee, going a little bit more in-depth on uh, some other things there as well. Kyle, it's always great to talk to you. Appreciate you taking some time, and we look forward to getting you back on the program real soon. Yeah, sounds great. Always appreciate the opportunity to come on and chat. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time to go down on the farm, and we're very happy to uh, welcome back onto the program. But for the first time uh, this season, he is the uh, broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats, the high A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. He is uh, Greg Young. Greg, it's always great to talk to you. How are you doing? Good, Matt. How are you? I, I am good. Uh, great to get you on. A lot of guys I want to talk about with you. But first off, kind of from a general perspective, uh, we, we talked about the possibility of this last year when we had you on. But during the course of the offseason, it, it did become official that the team is now uh, really you know, part of the Brewers in the sense that uh, the ownership is now the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, how has that affected things? Is, has anything changed, or is it just still kind of business the way it was uh, beforehand? Uh, it's the greatest thing that has ever happened ever. I kind of have to say that now, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, it, uh, it actually, uh, they did for the most part kind of um, 
let us continue on doing things the way that we had uh, in years past. There wasn't a whole lot of change, uh, at least in regard to the personnel in the office. The biggest thing that they did, um, other than just reassure us that, uh, you know, that they were very pleased with the direction that we have been going in the past and that where the future uh, now goes for us and, and what have you, it, it, they also added in some new ticket sales reps. Um, so I think an effort to try and, at least sort of locally, uh, try and, you know, reach more fans, get more people into the seats and what have you. I think there was an emphasis there to try and improve things. Um, there was some behind-the-scenes stuff, just little details here and there that needed to be brushed up that uh, maybe we weren't doing in the past and have now uh, tightened up a little bit now. But for the most part, it's uh, business as usual, and it is really a great thing. It's great for this community because if the Brewers have already committed that, you know, that they're, they're planning on keeping this team here for a while and, and already investing in the, the ballpark itself and improving on the, the fan experience in that regard. And, you know, I, I don't know what exactly may happen down the line, but right now everything's been great, and I, I think it's just going to continue to get better and better. Well, we talked about last year about, you know, people being excited about the Brewers being there, and that's kind of funny to say when you look at the geographic region and how far Milwaukee right. is away. Does – does the Brewers being the ownership, does that, maybe for those people out there that are not fans of the Brewers' Major League team, seeing the Major League team own the team in that market and making the commitment to that community, does that maybe help some more people uh, in that area become that much more invested in the team? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, I, I think the fans here are first and foremost baseball fans. You know, we, we had gone through a lot of the different affiliates in, in the time the team had moved there in 91. Uh, just in the time that, that I've, you know, worked there, we uh, we had the Braves for the first two years. This is my fourth year now, so now we're entering our second year with the Brewers and a definite partnership, obviously, in that regard. But before that, it was three seasons with the Indians. and I mean, There were a lot of changes, you know, the, the Reds, the Marlins going back, the Rockies, uh, the Pirates. So I think for fans here, I think they're used to, uh, becoming a fan, number one, of the baseball that's played there, but then also, two of the players individually. And wherever they go and whatever team they end up with, whether it's with those particular teams that they came up with originally or teams that they end up with down the road via trade and free agency and what have you, uh, they're a fan of those players in particular at first and going forward. And I think that now, being that we'll have a, the permanent relationship with Milwaukee and a lot of these players will end up there, I think it will certainly, you know, grow. The, the, the fandom here for Milwaukee in this area will, will only increase because of that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's going to help. Uh, but again, these are just great baseball people in this area. You know, North Carolina is a great baseball state. Uh, I think they're, they're happy just to, to have the Mudcats here. And as long as they're here, they're going to be fans and they'll keep coming out. Fairly different feeling, at least from from my perspective, from an outsider perspective looking in. Last year, especially at this time of the year, uh, the Mudcats had some of the top prospects. Uh, you know, they were at the beginning of the season, they were on one of those lists for teams with the most amount of top 30 prospects. It's a little bit of a different situation this year. Does that uh, does that affect much? No, I don't think so. I mean, it, it does maybe uh say like in the social media side of things right the clicks and the hits on videos and things like that maybe that that uh it comes up a little bit uh but as far as you know locally again they they, they just love having the team there having their team there and you know whoever the guys are they're going to get to know them uh they're excited to see all of them um and uh you know it helps maybe at the beginning of the season to know here your focus goes on this outfielder this infielder this pitcher and what have you 
that's kind of where you start, and then maybe you learn the other guys from there. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that having the, the really high profile guys really, um, at least locally, makes that much of a difference. Uh, but on a national level, certainly, yeah, it does, or a larger regional scale. Uh, but this team's interesting, though, because granted, they don't have the top 30 guys, you know, the big bulk of them like we had last year, the 10 or whatever it was at the beginning of the season in the current list. They do have a lot of guys that maybe were those type of players or on those those lists and on that radar in years past. So it's it's still a little bit of that, just guys who, for whatever reason in their careers, mostly due to injury, have now maybe dropped out of the top 30, but were there one day and still could be there maybe down the road. So it's, it's an interesting mix, and there's there's a lot of a lot of talent within this team. It's just a matter of, at least right now, um, kind of getting it to gel together at the same time and maybe bolstering the bullpen a little bit with how things have started so far this season. Somehow I've talked to you close to six minutes without asking you about Keston Hira, so I'll fix that right now. Yeah. Top prospect in the organization. Uh, a guy who's maybe gone off to a slow start from a hitting perspective, which is odd. He, it seems like his bat yeah. has played everywhere. What's your what's your takeaway for the first uh, now 21 games that uh, Keston Hira has appeared in? Uh, well, I mean, when you looked at his numbers last year, I, I, you know, he, he seemed almost inhuman in the way that he was able to uh, uh, get on every game, it seemed like, with a hit. He was only held, I think, without a hit in five of the 40-some-odd games that he played, you know, all of last year as a pro. Uh, he surpassed that within the first week and a half here, uh, but, uh, or just about. So uh, it, was, it was interesting to, to see him kind of get out to a slow start. But, I mean, it's baseball. That's how it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to be you know, a 350, 380 hitter, you know, out the gates every single year. I mean, there is going to be struggles, uh, and, and, you know, you, you battle through them. Uh, I, w- I would say that, you know, I, when you watch him in batting practice, it is clear as day that this guy is special. I, I, I have never seen a player with the kind of hand speed that he has. It is absolutely remarkable. And with that, it, there is a huge amount of power. I mean, it's, it's almost, you don't really maybe think it when you see him. Uh, maybe you don't think it when you see the numbers from last year. But when you see him in DP, and granted, you know, some guys put on great shows in DP, sometimes it doesn't translate. For him, I think it will, and I think it does already that we've seen in games. But the power that he generates is incredible. I mean, he puts backspin on balls that can hit the right center that, you know, you, you don't ever see from anybody. I mean, it, it's remarkable. And I think for right now, I, I you know, and I, I wanted to, to get a chance to talk to him a couple of days ago, but it, the time just didn't really work out too well. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I think he's... He's just struggling picking up right-handed pitching right now is really, I think, all that it is. He's great against lefties. It's just a matter of connecting on righties that are kind of jamming him inside. A lot of pitchers in this league have been trying to stay in on his hands, and uh, he's just kind of uh, rolling over, I guess, a few of them. But he's still making hard contact, a lot of atom balls. So the numbers will catch up, and you know it might be a bit of a slow start, but I'm telling you, I mean, it's... He's special. It's 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 remarkable. Yeah, five twenty four against lefties, one forty three against righties. That's that's as yeah. big of a split difference as you're ever going to see. Exactly. Yeah, and you know he he had missed a couple of games, uh, three game series against Frederick, the second series of the year at home. Came back, had a three hit game first night back in went Salem. Uh, started to, to slip a little bit again, maybe help without a hit the next couple of games after that. Then again, three hit game. Two hit game here. Had a two hit game today uh, when the team played in, in Kinston against the Wood Ducks. So um, you know it's 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 beginning to get there, and he is beginning to heat up. It's just kind of spreading that out uh, right now. It's it's at least in the last big week of games, a few more ground balls than he had been hitting before. 
but still hard hit grounders that are just going right at guys for the moment. Yeah, as we're talking about five hits in his last three games, eight hits in his last five games, so the numbers do seem to be uh, turning around for him. Yeah. He has yet to play in the field, and you know that's the thing that Brewers fans talk about a lot. There's a lot of people who are scared uh, that at yeah. some point in time he's going to need to go underneath the knife and, and he's going to miss a year. Uh, they're being really careful with him. He had some, some good appearances in the field last year after he did not play at all uh, in college in the field. What's the status with that right now? You know what, uh, they're kind of guarded still with the information regarding exactly what the plan is um, for now. Uh, obviously, it's go out there, continue to work on, you know, the skill set that at this point maybe matters most, I guess, if that makes sense. Just to make sure that you're still keeping uh, pace in regard to hitting and continue to advance in, in that regard. Clearly, it doesn't bother him when he's hitting. Otherwise, obviously, they would have shut him down a while ago. Um, I have talked to him about it a little bit. He says it's no issue at all. When he's hitting, it's still just a little bit tight maybe when he's throwing. Um, I think he's getting there. I think the plan eventually, just from watching from afar a little bit, is that they'll, they'll continue to kind of get him some more reps, maybe here or there, uh, you know, before games and what have you, just in baby steps. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I don't know what specifically the, the goal is you're moving forward. But, you know, I, I think that um, just be patient. You know, I mean, if it does come to that, then, then you know, so be it. You know, a lot of guys obviously go through – uh, that type of surgery and uh, come back just fine. It might be a little bit different position for a position player, I guess. But uh, for now, you know, maybe just uh, enjoy the fact that you still out there hitting and growing and getting better in that regard. You know, maybe take care of uh, the other side of it uh, down the road if necessary, and just be patient for now and enjoy what he's what he's doing here at the with, with the Mudcats. A guy I've been intrigued by, and it was really from his production a couple seasons ago, was Ronnie Gideon, who had, when he was playing short season, had just showed amazing power, and there was a lot of discussion about whether or not that power would be able to continue with him up the system. Has two home runs and 74 at-bats. He's maybe struck out a few too many times at 26 strikeouts, about 11 RBIs. That's what's second, third on the team. Uh, what's, what's your yeah. takeaway with this guy? Uh, he's been hitting the ball pretty good uh, up until this last series at, in in, uh, in Kinston that we just finished up, but they got swept. But uh, he was hitting the ball really well at home, had a mammoth home run there, which was fun to watch because his, his dad actually managed the Mudcats back in 2000, 2001. So when he was five and six years old, he was just kind of hanging out at the ballpark every day with his dad as a skipper back then and, you know, fat boy and everything that he could be around the field at all times. Dad is uh, on the, the major league coaching staff with the Rockies. So he was pretty excited to be back with us and, I think that's kind of carried over into the way that he's played. You know, he's, he's a fun guy to watch. He's very exciting out there to, to, to you know, when he's playing at first, especially. He's actually, I mean, it, for a big guy, he's extremely flexible, very nimble over at first. He plays pretty good defense there. Hasn't made an air yet. I think he leads the league in 30 percentage right now. Granted, a short sample size, but still, it's pretty impressive. Uh, but the power's there, absolutely. I mean, he had one that probably hit the clubhouse, you know, at our, our park. You're talking about Jake Gatewood type strength in, in that regard to left that we've seen so far. So um, right now, the entire team is kind of striking out probably more than they should. Um, I think they're second in the league in strikeouts and in the top 10 in minor league baseball in strikeouts total and strikeout percentage of the club. So uh, they could probably collectively tighten that up, but last year's team struck out a lot too. So, uh, you know, they set a franchise retroaction for strikeouts humans in, in, in the season. Uh, but uh, they did, for the most part, just fine. And I think this team will eventually uh, come around, including him. I think he'll We'll get hot soon, and, and we'll see more of that power, maybe especially as we hit the road and get out of five county where it's a little bit more difficult to hit homers. 
Ryan Aguilar is a guy who's got a home run, a triple, 13 RBIs. He's, his, his OPS is, if not the best on the team, right around that. I think it is, is the best. Uh, have you good numbers so far from him? Is this what you were expecting out of him, or has it been a little bit of a surprise? Uh, for me, I guess I would say that, you know, I would admit that maybe a bit of a surprise only be based off of the numbers that he had in Wisconsin. But in talking to manager Joe Arol, he's not surprised at all. You know, one of the things that Aguilar did really well especially last season, and, and the numbers would speak to that, is that he hit left-handed pitching extremely well. We have seen a fairly good amount of left-handed pitching so far, uh, and he's hit the ball extremely well against lefties. Uh, the, he had the, the home run that he had was a grand slam a couple nights ago. Uh, unfortunately for him, he's missed the last two games because he uh, made a, a jumping uh, attempt into the wall in Kinston and crashed into the wall pretty good. So I think he's fine, but they just, at precautionary, decided to leave him out the last couple of days. His shoulder was a bit things up, so... Hopefully he gets back back out there soon. He has a lot of line drives. Uh, you know, puts the ball in play to all parts of the field. He plays an outstanding center field. He's, uh, I think Cam Regner told me that they call him No Fly Zone is his nickname. He, he gets to everything out there. Uh, but uh, he is, uh, he's been fun to watch. You know, he uh, hasn't really developed a, a swing base type, uh, uh, I guess, uh, threat, if you will, out there. Uh, these guys don't really steal as many bags as the team last year did. Um, but uh, I think he's got the speed maybe to develop that. But, yeah, he's, he's right now hitting a lot of line drives. He's hot, and hopefully they get him back in the lineup uh, when we start playing again in Myrtle Beach in a couple of days. Trey Supak uh, pitched today. We're talking on Sunday. Gave up uh, three runs on two hits and five and a third, eight strikeouts, a couple walks. A guy who came over in the Keon Broxton trade, I believe he finished out the season with you guys uh, last year. He's putting up good numbers. He's always put up good numbers. Maybe he hasn't progressed as quickly as some people would like him to progress. Have you noticed anything different from last year to this year with Supak? I think he's dropped weight a little bit. Um, He's come in in maybe better shape. Uh, I would say that he's got better fastball command right now than he did, uh, at least for parts of the, the time that he was with us last year. When he first arrived, uh, he, he was missing up a lot and giving up some home runs, but he's definitely staying down now. Uh, uh, stayed below the zone pretty much throughout his start in the, uh, the outing today. Made one mistake, left one pitch up. That ended up being a three-run home run to a guy that he had struck out in back-to-back at-bats on six pitches over those two at-bats uh, uh, before the home run. Uh, he actually had a no-hitter through four today. Uh, carried into the fifth, gave up a hit at the top of the fifth inning, and then the second hit was a three-run home run. That was when his pitch count was getting up a little bit, up into about 80 or so, maybe a bit more. So it was at the end of his start, obviously. They ended up taking him out of the game at that point. But his curveball was fantastic today. Uh, it's got a really huge, just 12-6, just clean, straight up, straight down, 12-6 move to it. Uh, huge break, and he backs it up really well with that fastball. He's also working up uh, in the sense of being uh, effectively up, I guess if that makes sense, kind of staying below with a fastball, uh, and he gets a lot of downward tilt on it, too, which is nice because uh, it generates a lot of swings and misses, and it also keeps the ball down on the ground. But as he does that, and he stays down with the fastball or tosses to the curveball to get a swing and a miss just to kind of change speed, he'll then come up high with a hard fastball, and he got a few swings and misses with that today, too. But one mistake, and that ended up kind of costing him to, to start today, unfortunately. It was a, it was a, a great start for him. Just uh, one ball up, three-run home run was the difference. Marco's deep line is still a top 15 prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. We've heard his name a lot over the years. Right now, 4.37 ERA. What's maybe slowing this guy down from really putting up the numbers that people think he can put up? I think from last year with us, he was kind of getting uh, too caught up maybe in, in his own head when things went bad. 
Uh, they would kind of snowball on him, say he would give up a big home run, and he gave up a lot. Unfortunately, last year he was another guy that kind of stayed above the zone, got punished by it a little bit. Uh, but uh, you know, I think he just got too much in his own head, and when he got frazzled, it was hard for him to bounce back. That hasn't been the case this year. He's been much better in that regard. Once he finds a rhythm, he really does generate a lot of swings and misses. He has a pretty good slider. Um, he's still very young, so you know, certainly putting him on the on the forty man in that sense to protect him because there is still so much more, so much potential yet to, to for him to, to achieve, you know, or, or to really capture that. You know, I, I think it was a, it was a, a move in, in that sense. Uh, but uh, you know, I think it's just a matter of him keeping maintaining his focus and, and not letting the bad stuff that happens maybe in the start accumulate on him too quickly. Uh, he had a really good start. Uh, began at the very beginning had a really good start in Kinston just uh, two nights ago and uh, on Saturday night, but uh, had one bad inning, and then from there it kind of ballooned on him a little bit. But for the most part, he was avoiding that with us this season, and hopefully he's able to continue that here going forward. Last guy to talk about, it. he's a he's a Wisconsin guy, he's a little bit older guy, college guy, but uh, Cameron Regner putting up huge numbers right now, a .83 ERA through four starts, a 2-0 record. Uh, what's he doing right now to be so successful? I mean, these these no, numbers are just, they, they pop off the page. Yeah, he's throwing a ton of strikes. And when he gets into a rhythm, he's a fast worker, and he just stays in the zone. I mean, he's picking corners well. Uh, he, he's, he's mixing speeds well. And his, his breaking stuff is very sharp as well, too. So just like Shoebox has been so far, uh, he's been great. I mean, Rigner has been uh, just... You know, kind of the, the go-to guy. He's got three quality starts. I think at this point, he's got three outings where he's gone from six or, or seven scoreless. Uh, I think the seven-inning scoreless start he had with Winston Sands against Dash team that is loaded. They're pretty much the Mudcats of uh, of last year, the Carolina League this year, especially in regard to the power that they have in their lineup. The White Sox affiliate that is going most at that that particular organization right now has a just a, a fantastic loaded uh, farm system with a, a tremendous amount of talent, but. Uh, he, he made quick work of them and, uh, he's, yeah, just throwing a lot of strikes. And, you know, it's a guy that I think is really just confident in his ability and, and, and trusts his stuff and, you know, doesn't really get shaken too much out there. He's had one rough outing, but really all that it was, uh, it was a few walks here and there. Pitch count got up. And at that point, uh, they were kind of forced to, to, to take him out of the game. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, the numbers don't lie. He has been the real deal and I hope he continues it going forward because it would be great with us hosting the All-Star game at our place this year. Uh, the Carolina League All-Star Classic will be in June at our place. That you know, It would be nice to see some All-Stars, especially the starting pitcher with the potential to start that game. And I think right now he's got a strong case to, to maybe do something like that if he can keep it going. Greg, folks want to make their way to uh, to your guys' place to uh, check out some of these Brewers' prospects. Uh, uh, give a pitch for what's, uh, what's going on and why folks maybe should come out and uh, visit during the course of the summer. Well, I would say that uh, if you can make it before the summer and you can get in the middle of May, you definitely want to check out Brewers Weekend because we, as we celebrate, obviously, the new partnership and the fact that uh, we are now officially part of the Brewers family, uh, we're celebrating it with some uh, Brewers-inspired gear at the ballpark, a Brewers-inspired T-shirt giveaway will happen that weekend. And we also have a really cool hat, uh, and I, I hope I'm not uh, breaking some news here that I'm not supposed to. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll find out later. Uh, but uh, it's it's a really nice Brewers-inspired Mudcats hat that I think is going to be extremely popular. So uh, that will be something that we'll have available, I think, and I hope, at our team store soon. Uh, I think that might be released officially 
maybe tomorrow on social media. That would be Monday for us. Uh, but uh, that would, that's going to be very cool. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, we do our best to really try and be one of the best teams in minor league baseball when it comes to the show. That is the, the action on the field, not just the game, but the stuff that you see on the video board, the stuff that you see in the stands with the fans dancing and having fun and the games that are played on the field with our fans. You know, our fans are the ones that help us make national news. We've done that a lot these last couple of years, and uh, we hope to keep that going now. And, and uh, you know, if that's what it's all about as far as we're concerned. It's all about the cats fun, and, and we hope that everyone can be a part of it here you know, at some point with us in the future. And if people uh, outside of the area want to listen to the broadcast or uh, watch the uh, MILB TV, what's the? Uh, how do people go about doing that? Yeah, you can just find it on our website, carolinamudcats.com. Uh, you could also find the link on TuneIn Radio. Just search for Carolina Mudcats. It will take you right to the uh, the broadcast page, like any other team in minor league baseball. And the same thing with MILB.TV. Uh, we're there every home game. We'll have it for you there. And uh, uh, it's uh, it's one of the best feeds, I think, in, in the game, the way that uh, our crew does it. And uh, it's, uh, it's a simulcast, so it, it features me. So if the labor through that, I apologize. I'll do my best. But uh, it'll, you'll at least be able to see the action, too. It's, it's a good setup. He is uh, Greg Young, the broadcaster for the Carolina Mudcats. Follow him on Twitter at Greg Young Jr. Greg Young Jr. Uh, the abbreviation. So Greg Young Jr. is the uh, is the Twitter handle. Greg, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll catch up with you again here in the next month or so. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That is Greg Young. We appreciate him taking some time with us and. Uh, you can uh, really pay attention to that team. There, I think that's a group, and, and we'll talk more the next time that uh, he is on with us. To me, that seems like a group where there's some guys who can either establish themselves or reestablish themselves as, as guys to keep an eye on. You know, sometimes last year that was a Mudcats team that had. They may have had double-digit top 30 prospects. They made a 10, 11, 12 guys. A lot of the guys who are at Biloxi now were were with the Mudcats last year. And sometimes that stops opportunity for other guys because those top prospects need to be playing on an everyday basis. When you've got a team the way the Mudcats are put together where there's some former top 30 prospects who have been uh, who have dealt with injuries, when you've got some other guys who maybe were undrafted guys or late round drafted guys who you know have have not really picked the, grabbed the eye of some people you can you can open up some eyes with those opportunities and i think we might see that with some of those guys coming up this year with the mudcats so that's a very interesting team to watch moving forward on tap this week uh, for the Brewers, they are going to play three games in Cincinnati, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They will then take Thursday off and return home for a weekend series against Pittsburgh on Friday, Saturday, and uh, then into Sunday. Three games are going to start at 6:10 in Cincinnati. That means a 5:35 broadcast on 6:20 WTMJ, and then uh, the home games Friday at 7:10 against Pittsburgh, Saturday 6:10, and you have the normal Sunday 1:10 start. And uh, would uh, encourage you to uh, always be listening on WTMJ after the game for our Brewers extra innings post game show. One last thing, and uh, this this happened about a week ago now, so there's some time has passed. But I just wanted to pass along my thoughts on Davey Nelson. 
we found out last Monday, so uh, just after this podcast went live, we found out uh, last Monday morning when the Brewers issued a statement that Davey Nelson had passed away. He had been battling a prolonged illness. It uh, affected him last year, and uh, it was affecting him, uh, obviously, a lot recently. We had not seen him on Fox Sports Wisconsin. Hadn't really seen him at the ballpark since last season. I'm really lucky. I'm really lucky in my job to get to talk about baseball, to watch all these baseball games. Uh, But part of what's great about my job is the people I get to come in contact with. And some of the closest people and friends that I have around the Brewers are the Fox Sports Wisconsin folks who come on the Brewers Extra Innings show with me. So Craig Kashan, Jerry Augustine, and Davey Nelson. And I walked in to the Brewers beat uh, into the season in 2016. I was not there for opening day. Uh, there was uh, it just it was a late hire. And I was coming from Colorado Springs where I'd been broadcasting the Brewers AAA affiliate, uh, the Sky Sox. And I just I got there a little bit late, so here I am. I'm the new guy. Nobody really knows who I am, what I'm about. And uh, the Fox Sports Wisconsin guys were, were so welcoming to me, and that, that includes Davey Nelson. And Davey just... He became a friend to me so very quickly and the way he was so uh, welcoming to me. And I've shared this story a few times, and I just want to share this story uh, one more time. We we had a situation last year on the post-game show where a caller came, called in, and was just saying some crazy stuff. I think it was after a bad loss, and... The caller wasn't. The caller was just. He was a jerk. I'll say it. I, I I love our callers, and look, just because you disagree with me doesn't make you that. But the way he was going about it, and the way he was disagreeing, it was just. He was very unruly. He was not exactly a nice person, and I laid into him pretty good. And look, I'll I'll vehemently disagree with you on that program, but if we have time to do it, I'll have a conversation with it. I'll let you talk. I'll talk, and we'll we'll kind of go back and forth, and it can be fun. That's the great thing about sports and the great thing about baseball there's multiple ways that people you know see see the game and uh, I, I think I'm right but that doesn't mean I can't listen to you anyways that's not the part of the story that's really important um, I laid into this guy man I laid into him and that's not something that I do all that often and um, Davy was evidently listening and he sent me a text message uh, after I laid into the guy. And at that point, I was still feeling kind of, I, I was questioning whether or not that uh, that I handled things the correct way. And uh, Davey sent me a text message and said, way to go, Matt. I'm glad you put that caller in his, plas- in his place. He was just being so biased and he has no clue what he's talking about. And that meant so much to me at that moment that Davey Nelson and and who he is and the stature and and look he knows he 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 knew more about baseball and he, you know the old saying is a guy forgetting more about baseball than he ever knew well that's that's Davey Nelson and um it, it meant a lot to you know he didn't have to send that text but he did because he he wanted to and uh he he loved the brewers and he loved people and he was just i i bet 
I just, I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling at this point. But uh, it was a, it was a cool moment. That was the last text message he ever sent me. Uh, when we found out the news this past week, I went and looked back at my text messages that I'd had with him, and that was the last text message I got. So I uh, want to encourage you. Uh, he was very involved in a home uh, that helped orphaned children uh, who were affected uh, by HIV-AIDS. And uh, it's the Open Arms Home, and that is going to, uh, he had a golf event every year that raised money for that and so forth. Uh, if you if you want to, it would be great for you to donate some money to that. If you're able to, the website is openarmshome.com, and there's information on there about how you can donate. So thank you for listening to me ramble on for a few minutes about Davey Nelson. It was a... It was beyond a punch in the gut this past week uh, when he passed away, and we will all certainly miss Davey, and I will miss being able to have him on Brewers Extra Innings. I'll tell you what, sometimes the best shows we had, uh, especially two years ago when the team was not overly competitive, so in uh, 2016, some of those bad losses for the team, I would just be able to ask him questions. Hey, did you ever experience this? Whatever it might be. And listening to his stories was was an absolute treat, and I will very, very much miss a lot of things, but I will miss that as well. So on that note, we wrap up this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Thank you to my guests this week, and Kyle Lesneski, and also uh, Greg Young. And we will talk to you again next week with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thank you so much for being tuned in. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.